the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is Bob Bergman broadcasting for one of the last times from my current office in San Jose. I'm going to be relocating my office by the end of the month, and then I'll be closer to my kids' school and closer to my home, which means uh, I'll have a lot more time to meet with people. Now, I have a special treat today. I have invited into my spacious palatial student in my office. Go ahead and laugh, Jim. That's fine. Uh, A good friend of mine. Uh, local San Jose estate planning attorney, James Berge. I think he prefers going by Jim. Jim. This is Jim Berge. Uh, Jim is a uh, cum laude graduate of Santa Clara University School of Law, which is my law school as well. He has an LLM in taxation from Golden Gate University School of Law. He is also a CPA and a published author, having contributed to Continuing Education of the Bar's publication on special needs trusts, planning, drafting, and administration. And like me, he is also a member of Wealth Council, which is the National Association of Estate Planning Attorneys and other estate planning professionals that uh, has several thousand members across the country, including a fair number of us here in the Bay Area. And uh, because of that, we can practice at a much higher level than we could just on our own. So, Jim, I've invited Jim here today, even though he's technically a competitor of mine, because I've known him a long time and because he has a specialty in estate planning that I don't really focus on in my own practice. Uh, Jim is very focused on the practice of elder law, which includes medical planning and associated planning, but also includes the area of conservatorship which is basically a guardianship for an adult. Some states call it guardianship for an adult or a minor child. Here we call it conservatorship. So I brought Jim in because I consider him to be my go-to expert on conservatorship, what it involves, how long it takes, what it costs, and what the upside and downside is. So with that introduction, I'm going to turn the microphone over to Jim uh, as long as he doesn't get carried away. And, um, and Jim, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about conservatorship? Well, I liken conservatorships to um, actually a living probate. Um, it is a legal proceeding. It's a court proceeding. It's filed in the, in the probate court of your local county. Um, 
by somebody who would like to take control of uh, someone else's person, somebody else's estate. Somebody who's considered probably, like you say, it's going to be an adult. It's going to be somebody who's going to be presumably disabled, perhaps a mental, perhaps a physical disability. Something that, that interferes with their ability to take care of themselves, the ability to, uh, to take care of their activities of daily living, or perhaps their, uh, their ability to manage their own finances, or, as we say, resist fraud or undue influence of others. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned activities of daily living. I think we, we refer to them as ADLs kind of in the trade here. We do. What are those? What does that really mean, and what do those consist of? Well, it's all the things that you um, pretty much do during the day. You don't even think about it. They're more or less habits. They're eating, cooking, eat, drinking, toileting, medicating, transporting, and just basically getting around and, and being able to communicate um, and, and uh, live a normal life. So if you have one or more of those things you can't do anymore, you still may be able to function on your own, but at some point... Do you reach a point where maybe someone needs to start taking care of things for you? Well, absolutely. You know, we, we, try to, we try to be in charge of our own lives for as much as we can during our lifetime, but there just may be that point in our life where we're unable to take care of ourselves and we really have to count on others to help us. Um, of, course, of course, the best way, and you're in estate planning, the best way you can do is empower others to, uh, through powers of attorney perhaps or through living trust documents, to empower others to help you uh, when the time comes that you need that help. Um, if you can't be in direct charge of your life or control of your life, it would be nice to be uh, have some uh, indirect control over decisions that are being made for you in your life rather than uh, having to rely upon the court system. Yeah, so you want to be able to, if at all possible, ahead of time, pick the people that you want to handle your property, you want to handle your personal care, you want to decide what medical treatment you get and things like that, rather than leaving it up to a court to decide. And one of the things I recall about problems with dealing with the court system is that the judge that's going to decide this for you doesn't necessarily know much at all about you or your background or the people in your life, may not know that the person that's trying to take over could be the absolute worst possible person in the world for you because the judge doesn't really know. I mean, I know they send out investigators to interview people around the person proposed to be conserved, which I've always thought is kind of an unusual term. Uh, I think I've shared this with you at the, uh, the audience before, but when I was in law school and they talked about a conservatorship and talked about someone being conserved, the mental image I got was someone <laughs> being put in a big glass jar with a lid on it and then <laughs> taking them out of the jar now and then to bathe them, feed them, give them medication, treat them, and then put them back in a jar. That's kind of what a conservatorship is, though, isn't it, Jim? That's, that's absolutely right. You're kind of housed somewhere, and people are taking care of you and doing things for you. It could be in your house, or it could be in assisted living. It could be skilled care. It could be, it could be anywhere. That's be. absolutely true. You would like it to be presumably somebody you have confidence in. You'd like it to be a spouse. You'd like it to be your kids. But uh, you'd like to have the choice of who that person's going to be. And if you're no longer able to communicate your wishes, you've kind of given up the ability to make any kind of choice about who would take care of you. The judge is going to decide based on whatever evidence is put before that judge. Now, Jim, have you ever had occasions where you've filed for a conservatorship and the big fight has started. Oh, absolutely! You have, you have the you have the you have the friends. You have the family. Mostly, it's the family, though. 
or sometimes you know it might be your might be your mom or dad and and they're they're now married to perhaps um you know your stepmom stepdad and um they're they're not necessarily taking care of your your parent the way that you would like them to take care of your parent and so the law unfortunately makes it really difficult for a, a child an adult child to be able to look after their parent when that parent is is married so yeah. so unfortunately there's there's certain preferences given under the law to, to who might become your conservator should the need arise and unfortunately kids fall down second on the list it's always going to be the spouse followed by the kids but better still though uh, through a health care directive which i'm sure you've talked about before you have the ability to uh, more or less even put somebody ahead of the spouse in the priority list and and so if you fill out a properly you know filled out um, health care directive then you have the ability to nominate who you would like to uh, to look after you uh, in the future should the need arise and wouldn't that also apply to um, a power of attorney for finances? It would. It so would. you can name who gets access to your retirement monies for you, uh, who deals with government agencies on your behalf, like the IRS, the Franchise Tax Board, Medicare, Medi-Cal, all those things. Who deals with the court systems on your behalf? Doesn't have to be that spouse who is the step-parent to your kids, for example. Yeah. Um, so uh, that gives you much more control over things, especially if you have any doubt in the back of your mind that your spouse is going to be more interested in caring for you than for others. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. After the break, I'm going to open up, um, open up the lines for anyone who may want to call in and have a question for Jim. It's going to be 800-516-1220. Write that down, 800-516-1220. So when we come back after the break, you can call in if you have any questions. Um, my engineer, Marco, is standing by to take your calls. Hopefully someone will call in because this is such a serious topic. I thought it was time for everyone to hear more about this from an expert on the subject. So when we come back, after the break, it'll be me with my friend Jim Berge, estate planning attorney. Talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. Bob Bergman here. I have my guest today. Uh, state planning attorney from San Jose, Jim Berge, who is a colleague of mine in the field of estate planning. We've been talking about conservatorship, and I indicated in the first segment that we're going to open the show up to anyone who wishes to call in with a question about conservatorship. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. So if you'd like to call in with a question for Jim about conservatorship here in California, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to answer that for you. Um, Try not to give (laughs) names of people and everything unless you want it broadcast all over the greater San Francisco Bay Area, but you could call in. So call in. This is a chance to get a free uh, uh, consultation with an attorney. Yeah, two attorneys. Pretty much two attorneys, two for the price of one, uh, which today is free. So, Jim, before the break, we were talking about conservatorship in general and uh, some of the things it it kind of avoids. Why don't you tell people what the actual process is? My understanding is that 
you can have a temporary conservatorship and then a permanent conservatorship. And temporary sounds like you can just kind of, if like, oh my gosh, it turns out dad has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's, he can't handle things anymore. So I should be able to just like run down to the courthouse, file some papers, and now I can temporarily be in charge of dad until until there's a hearing to make me his permanent conservator. That's how it works, right? Not at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, that was the setup from the host. So, Jim, how quickly can you get a temporary conservatorship? Well, if you need a temporary conservatorship, first you have to be thinking about the permanent conservatorship requirement. It normally takes about 90 days in order to get the permanent conservatorship. But when there's a, an emergency, a true emergency, somebody's laying in the hospital bed, so you know you're about ready to, to lose the house to foreclosure unless you do something. You know, you've got, a, got an escrow open and it's going to close next week, you're going to lose the buyer. But you have to be able to point to some sort of an emergency. Yeah, there's got to be a loss to, to some 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 financial loss. You got to prove that you know somebody's health is in is in extreme jeopardy, and and if you're able to prove that, then besides proving the need for the permanent conservatorship after a 90-day process where you get appointed, uh, you can file at the same same time simultaneously for the temporary uh, conservatorship to address the temporary problem, the particular problem. Unfortunately, you're not going to be given the full full powers of a conservator. Uh, you're only going to be given limited powers during the, the temporary period of time. You're going to be spending a lot more money, and I think we'll probably be talking cost a little later, but you're looking at additional cost, additional fees. It's not the kind of thing you want to do if you can avoid it because you're probably looking at a, a 50% additional cost to have to file two petitions down at the court, one for the permanent and then also one for the uh, the temporary. And then, of course, you're... You know, you're having to get the courts involved, and you might be doing some sort of an ex parte type of a petition. It's not going to be a, a full court hearing. You're not inviting everybody in, all the friends, the family, the interested parties. You're just really explaining to a judge what the need is and uh, asking for some temporary relief, some temporary orders. That having spent all that money to try to get the temporary orders, it's only really going to be good for about 90 days. So, a um, lot, a lot of money putting into, well, and of course, and of course, um, if there's an emergency and it's a weekend or a holiday, uh, you could still go into court, right? Well, if you can find a judge, you certainly can go into court. Yeah, uh, and do you think the judges are generally available on the weekends and holidays for this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, you can find the you can find a judge that's available. There's usually a judge that's assigned to uh, to matters over weekends and and uh, over non-court hours. So it's not just judges in the criminal court system where they have them available to do There's always an on-call judge. So there's an on-call judge. So it's kind of like you go into the ER and you need a surgery, they have an on-call surgeon. Right. Um, so, so you actually have, uh, even in an extreme situation, uh, it sounds like if someone is in the hospital and now they're, they're in a coma or something like that and they need to know do we operate or not, that might qualify for a situation. That like would this. definitely qualify, yes. But it, but again, there's still paperwork involved. There's a lot of paperwork involved. Still need a lot of facts. You still have to put a full set of documents together. You got to find the time with the court. Got to explain it to the court, and um, and then you're only going to get limited authority. Um, it's it's just going to be it's going to expire. The authority itself expires the day of the the permanent hearing on the matter. 
and then hopefully someone actually gets appointed to that time. Otherwise, it sounds like it's back to the races. Well, that's true. <laughs> plus, plus, you know, there there may still be some some contest. You know, court investigators still get involved, and and other people may still have some input. And and even when you go in for a temporary, you still necessarily have to notify other family members of of your intent to go into court. And and they may decide to show up at the okay. last minute and and argue their case. And, you know, if you think you're trying to get hold of finances, you'll find yourself with one additional obstacle, and that's called a bonding requirement. So, so the courts aren't going to give you control over someone else's money uh, that you might just simply take off with, you know, without some sort of security. So some sort of an insurance policy that if you do, there's, there's some bonding company that would make good the loss. So that's what's what we basically call a surety bond, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And And my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it has to pretty much be equivalent to the value of the property that's being handled that's that's absolutely correct so if someone has a three million dollar estate yes you need a three million dollar surety bond for the for the conservator that's 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 true and that costs what a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks or a few thousand bucks that's right um, and of course you got to qualify for the bond so if you filed bankruptcy if you've got any issues in the past um, you know you're not credit worthy uh, you're also not going to get the bond either. Certainly, if you have that conviction for embezzlement or something, you're not <laughs> going to get it either, right? No. <laughs> so, um, you know, and so there may be some families right there that they don't have anybody in the family that can qualify. Um, and now they're kind of stuck with that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the court investigator. My understanding is that there's more court investigator action today than there was a few years ago. They've kind of increased that. Well, they have. You know, there have been some uh, some cases of abuse that have been in the press in, in the last few years. And so the court investigator is really stepping up their uh, their due diligence, their inquiries, just trying to make sure that, um, you know, that, that the, the court is aware of, of circumstances and, and more on top of circumstances. So what do the invest- who do the investigators actually interview then? Well, they certainly will go out and they'll talk to the, uh, the proposed conservatee, so, so our, our, our disabled individual. Uh, and they'll also talk to the, uh, the conservator, um, and, um, and they'll talk to other family members as well. So, so perhaps the, uh, again, depending on circumstances, you know, if all of a sudden you know somebody's been stealing money from, from the proposed conservatee, then perhaps uh, investigation with the bankers might be important, or financial mm-hmm. planners, or those who have particular knowledge of the facts. Okay, well, we're coming up on the uh, mid-show break now. And I think after the break, we're going to talk about some of the um, kind of the nitty-gritty details of conservatorship, including the expenses and what you can expect it to cost overall, and also maybe some of the ongoing expenses that you may have with the conservatorship. So um, if you want to call in, it's 800-516-1220. This is your chance to ask your questions on the air. You can use a fake name if you want to. That's fine. We're not sending investigators around to you. <laughs> but it's 800-516-1220. And uh, we'll be back after the break. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman with his guest, attorney Jim Berge out of San Jose. Talk with you after the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. On AM 1220, KDOW. Hi, welcome back. I want to let you know the number to call in if you want to ask a question of my colleague, Jim Berkey, who is a 
an estate planning specialist as I am. We're talking about conservatorship here in California today. It's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Those of you who are out on the road right now, I hope you're doing all right. Looking out the window, it looks like it's raining right now. And, of course, if you've lived in California any length of time, you know that your average Californian has no idea how to drive in the rain when the rain comes. Um, That's why I try to stay off the roads whenever possible when it's raining um, because um, what I've seen is a lot of people have no idea what to do when the sky opens up and pieces of it start falling down onto the ground. So, Jim, uh, on this third segment of the show, um, I'd like to spend some time exploring what are the actual monetary costs of conservatorship. For example, in your experience, an uncontested temporary conservatorship here, say, in Santa Clara County, what is that going to probably cost between attorney's fees, court filing fees, court investigators' fees? What what kinds of fees and costs are we looking at there? Well, we generally tend to quote $7,500, even upwards of $10,000, plus uh, court investigator cost filing fees and, and other miscellaneous costs. So it, it's certainly a, an expensive process. Again, that's, that's, uh, that would be the temporary with the, uh, the full-on permanent guardianship or conservatorship hearing. Uh, if you can find a way to uh, sort of make things, make uh, ends meet for the next 30, well, the next 90 days, with without the need for the temporary, you'll obviously find a way to cut the cost down to something more like 5000 But truthfully, when you compare it as the alternative is, you know, get a get an, a, a power of attorney, get a health care directive, uh, get a living trust, all, all things you've, you've talked about, I'm sure, with your audience. A lot cheaper to do that. Than, uh, it, than it is to uh, to wait until the last minute to do nothing and, and then find yourself more or less a victim of the system. And what happens what happens to the families where they have the family member that, that maybe has a home but but um, doesn't have much else at all, but they realize they need to do something with mom or dad's home because they're going into a nursing home, but they can't even rent it out because they don't have any authority. What happens if someone doesn't have assets at all, but they need a conservator? Who takes care of that? Well, generally, if you don't have assets, you're not going to have a need for uh, what's called the conservatorship of the estate, because there are no assets that are actually to manage, perhaps except maybe a Social Security check or a pension check. Um, There is a conservator of the person, uh, however, so when a need arises and you've got to find a place for mom or dad um, or, or spouse, uh, and you've got to find nursing home care perhaps for them, and, and you don't have any sort of advanced directives, any sort of you know, advanced authorization to, to make a decision for another, you have no choice. You've got to go down to court. And, and again, it may be a situation, and it may, of course, be an emergency. And, and so, of course, you may find the self where, you know, somebody, mom or dad's just, you know, they were in a hospital. And, again, it may not be such a big deal because, you know, from the hospital, generally the hospital's going to, uh, to release to a nursing home. You're not going to have to find the nursing home. But, but when the decisions have to be made after admission, again, you're without any sort of authority to, to make decisions on a loved one's behalf. With, with, again, without court authority. Thanks, Jim. Well, we have a caller. Marco, uh, could I get that name again? David from Oakland we have on line one. David, are you there? Yeah. David, hi. This is this is Bob hi, Bergman. Hi. I got Jim Berge sitting here. Hi, David. You have a question for Jim? Yeah, this is a scenario. Uh, I live alone, unmarried, no, 
and no family. And so um, if I want to plan ahead, uh, other than having and so forth, do I have had picked out three prospective facilities in the event of a medical situation? Let's say I have a stroke and I'm not able to care for myself. Do I have had uh, had done research police that I liked, and then uh, someone would act on my behalf, maybe an attorney, if I'm unable to do no. that type of myself? I'm sorry, but you're breaking up. So I, I guess what's happening is you're a single individual, and, and you've done some research. Uh, the assumption is if you had a stroke, uh, you've done some research about where you might want to receive some care. And the, and the question then is, is who would actually be able to make decisions for you, and perhaps without the need for conservatorship? Hello, David. Marco, did we lose David? I've... I think so. Well, David... that, well, to answer the question, you know, if, if you had a, if you uh, were, you know, we're trying to consider the um, future need for uh, for somebody to look after you, then you know, first thing I do is recommend get a healthcare directive. And uh, you can find them online. You can call Bob up. You can call an estate planning attorney of your choice. But call your doctor's office for that matter. But, but certainly get an advanced health care directive. You'd have the ability to nominate somebody to make a decision uh, of a health care agent, somebody who can make medical care and personal care and long-term care decisions for you should the need arise. Uh, perhaps it's effective only upon incapacity, but perhaps it's effective immediately. If it's my spouse, then I want to give the power effective immediately. You know, but of course the uh, the number one named agent may not be available. In which case, you might like to have a number two, number three as well. I got some kids; they recommend themselves. So between the two of them, I can probably come up with a number two and a number three choice. But again, it's my choice. It's not going to be the choice of a court system. And when an emergency arises, my spouse, my kids, nobody has to go down to the court to get authority to act on my behalf. So, David, are you still there? Hey, Mark, I, yep. if he's still there, we, we okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on then. Um, you know, maybe that's the dangers of cell phones. I because that was kind of seemed like a cell phone situation where it drops about every three seconds. He said Oakland, didn't he? He said Oakland. So he might have been going through a tunnel or. Oh, that's a possibility too. Yeah, might have been going through one of the tunnels over there. So moving back here to um, some of the costs, I know that there's court investigators' fees are involved. What what do those generally run? Nine hundred dollars. Nine hundred dollars. Yes. Okay. Now they can be waived if you're poor and got no money. Then they can be waived. But generally, if you can afford to pay, that it's a nine hundred dollar uh, cost uh, for a court investigator, a court employee to go out and investigate the matter, make an independent recommendation to the judge. And then the filing fees right now, typically still four hundred four hundred sixty five dollars. Four sixty five. Four hundred sixty five dollars. Um. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when you add those things up, oh, and and then of course, if you're uh, actually inventorying property, then you have to uh, go out to a probate referee, an appraiser, and and have to pay for the just the cost of, of determining the value of the property. Got a million dollar property, it's a, you can add another point one percent onto the cost of of the uh, the conservatorship. What for a hundred? What is that? A hundred hundred dollars? Or no, for a, it should be a thousand. So a thousand. Thousand dollars, thousand dollars for a one million dollar yeah. property. So yeah. it is point one percent. One. I know it's a thousand bucks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me put it that way. It'll be a thousand. Obviously, a lot of money. <laughs> um, 
it's an unnecessary expense in my book. Yeah. You know, when, when you can when you th- can look ahead, you can do something, you know. Uh, take care of yourself. First and foremost, take care of yourself. Um, look around you and say, if, if I need help, who's, who's on my team? Who's on my care team? Who's going to be looking after me? Who's got my back? And, uh, and, and start to document their authority now. Don't wait until the need arises. Do it now. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, as someone who's been practicing a long time here in, in the, uh, the Bay Area, um, I've had times where people have they've come to one of my seminars and they say, we really need to get this done. And I say, I agree. And it's like, but they never come in and see me. And then it's not unusual for me to now be contacted by the the spouse because their spouse just passed away or their spouse has become incapacitated and um, they want to do planning now. But it is possible if one spouse is okay and the other one's incapacitated, it's possible to go into court and actually do planning through the court system if there's nothing if there's no power of attorney giving authority ahead of time. Um, I've done that a few times over the years. But the thing you absolutely don't want to have to do uh, is try to do planning after someone has become incapacitated when they're the only person. I tell people, look, in an extreme situation, go ahead and get some kind of trust done. I don't care how good the trust is. I don't care if it's a lousy trust. Get a trust set up and you get it set up and then someone passes away or someone becomes incapacitated. We can go into court and fix that and make it what it should have been all along. But I can't, as a practitioner, I can't fix a broken trust unless there was a trust in the first place that got broken. Uh, I talk about this when I talk about trust modifications get something in place. I don't care if it's a book you picked up at Barnes and Noble and filled out the forms and signed it and said, here's my trust. You've got something in place, something we can work with. Uh, but we cannot create those things out of whole cloth. It, it, there has to be something we can work with. Now, there, right, there, there is one procedure through conservatorships. It's possible to file a, what's called a... Um, uh, What's it called? Judgment? A pe- substituted judgment yeah. petition. So, so the opportunity uh, presents itself if, if there is no living trust, if there is no estate planning, it's possible to go to court and ask uh, that one be created. And so you can propose the terms. I, f- I did fail to mention, though, that uh, another significant expense is the conservatee is entitled to an attorney as well. And so the court will typically appoint a, an attorney for the conservatee, the proposed conservatee. And so you're probably looking at another $5,000 expense or so. And again, assuming no contest. And if it's there's a contest, well, then the sky's the, the limit. The sky is the limit. Okay, so this is wrapping up the third segment of the show. Uh, you can still call in. We have one more segment, 800-516-1220, 800-516-1220. Uh, we'll be coming back shortly after the break for the final segment of the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. And when we come back, we'll see if we can do a recap of the first part of the show. This is Bob Bergman. Talk with you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. So welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're, um, we're on the final approach for the show today, so I ask that you please return to your seats, fasten your seatbelts, 
Put your trays in the upright lock position. Please turn off all electronics as we uh, head into the final part of the show today. I have estate planning attorney Jim Berge here with me today. Jim is a, an elder law specialist, and we've been talking about conservatorship uh, and what the process is, what it costs. I think those of you listening probably were surprised at how expensive conservatorship can be, and that's when no one's fighting about anything. I'm sure there's people out there that have experienced this in their own families or families of friends where someone had to be conserved by the court. Maybe there was a nasty fight. Maybe you found out just who in the family really does actually hate other people in the family and who's going to bat for mom or dad and really is looking out for their best interests and those who just want to get a hold of things so they can loot and pillage and burn. Is that pretty accurate, Jim? That's very accurate, yeah. yes. Um, so it, in law school, uh, I remember when I took my wills class, uh, my wills professor at Santa Clara um, referred to the heirs who were always fighting in all the cases dealing with wills as the grubby group. And you can have grubby groups in the area of conservatorship as well. As Jim mentioned earlier, we kind of call this like a living probate because we do a lot of the things that happen in probate after somebody's died, but we do it while the person's still alive, one being the inventory of assets and the value. Now, the inventory and everything, but no one gets any property yet, that's part of the conservatorship process. Those of you who have been doubting whether or not you should do some kind of estate planning, having heard this, hopefully there's no more doubts in your mind that you should have a plan in place to avoid conservatorship during your lifetime if you become incapacitated, avoid probate after you've died because it's lengthy, expensive, and completely public <clears throat> in nature. Um, Jim, um, do you have, can you share maybe with the audience, um, share briefly because we don't have a long segment this time, but maybe a, a case that you dealt with a conservatorship that really kind of blew up? Maybe it started and you didn't think it was going to be an issue and then it kind of blew up. Well, actually, it started out as estate planning and we were trying to figure out how to just simply create a living trust for somebody. And as it turned out, um, it was a, a relationship between brothers who had more or less worked together for the last 40 years of their life and they co-managed property together. They sort of divided up the duties, the responsibilities, but at the end of the day, they're both getting up there in years and and they'd like to sort of separate. They'd sort of like to uh, to divide things up. And, uh, and and basically where you have is, is where one partner in this partnership, two brothers co-managing property together, one basically says, no, I don't want to do it anymore. One says, no, I want to do it for the rest of my life. You've necessarily got some problems. And then, of course, then you've got the other issues of then you've got the families because one really would like to sort of you know, remove themselves because they don't want to be the spouse, the kids, or whatever, having to deal with unfinished business. You know, that's that's the nature of estate planning is let's let's take care of our affairs. And in the case of when you're getting older, you just want to retire. You just want to have a good old time. You don't want to be working for the rest of your life necessarily. But in this one case, um, it was determined that, uh, that the only salvation to this, uh, well, potential partnership dissolution would be a conservatorship. And uh, unfortunately, this matter is going to trial right now. It uh -huh. turned out one of the partners had to more or less admit that he was incompetent. 
because he'd been taken advantage of by his brother. Wow. And so he went into court, and, and he had a relative that was assigned the, the duty or the job of, of taking care of him and representing him throughout the conservatorship proceedings. And at this point in time, as a conservator, they find themselves now trying to go to court to unwind the partnership and to divide up. Oh, it's it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And so after four literally, years. Literally tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so so you mentioned something in there that, that this person had to admit that they were incompetent. Well, it's possible. Um, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm guessing, though, it's possible for someone to voluntarily have themselves conserved. That's correct. When you believe you're becoming more and more forgetful or becoming subject to undue influence or you're but perhaps you got a spouse or perhaps you got a bad relationship with a spouse and you just feel like you're being taken advantage of. Yes, it is possible. And so maybe you're not sure if you uh, have the competence to do an estate plan. So you figure I'll have the court put someone in charge and now it's kind of bulletproof. That's correct. Yeah, I could see that. Well, Jim, I want to thank you for coming in today. We, we just have a couple minutes left in the show. I want to let you all know out there that I do have my upcoming living trust and Retirement Plan Trust Seminars scheduled for the 16th, which is a Saturday morning, in my office here in San Jose, my present office. Those will be the last seminars I'm doing in this location. Seminars starting up again in March, starting on March 2nd, will be done at my new office over on Ross Avenue in San Jose in the Cambrian Park area. Details about my new address are on my website at Lawbob. Dot com. That's L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. If you'd like to submit questions to the show, you can always email me at radio at lawbob.com, and I'll be happy to look at your questions and respond to them if I can. Otherwise, uh, respond to them on the air if you'd like to have the answer on the air in a future show. So we're coming up on the end of the show today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Jim, It's been great having you here on the show. Thank you for the invitation. Did you have fun? Oh, I had a lot of fun. Should we do this again sometime? Absolutely. Okay, we'll we'll figure out, ladies and gentlemen, we'll figure out some other topic that we can bat around like uh, cats with a ball of yarn. Submit topics of interest to to Bob. Yeah, topics of interest, and we'll cover those things. Anything to do with estate planning. Don't ask us who's going to win next year's Super Bowl. We don't know. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman signing off. Goodbye, California, Bay Area. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.